0: Vulnerability is the only way to build, really build good intimacy. And intimacy is the antidote to isolation. And isolation is what is a major factor. When I say isolation, I don't mean you have to be physically isolated from other people. I'm talking about what goes on in the head, inside of your head. That isolation, uh, perceived or real, is a huge factor in suicide. So as hard as vulnerability is for all of us, and especially for people that have been told and trained and had it hammered into them, you know, suck it up, drive on, don't be talking about it if you have issues or problems or mental health struggles or even physical struggles, because guess what? You're not going to get promoted and you can even be booted and, and booted with a dishonorable discharge on, you know, on some occasions. So I think for military folks, it, it everything works against vulnerability and maybe the only people that, that you might feel able to be, the least bit vulnerable with is your, you know, your battle buddies, so to speak. But then you lose that. A lot of people lose that when they get out of the military. So it's just, it's got to be, it's got to be isolating. I didn't live that experience. I'm just speaking from talking to a lot of veterans.
1: So this is what I know about, um, and, and
0: all of these people have passed away, so I can freely talk about them. So um, I had three uncles in the Navy. My father was the youngest of four boys. He also attempted to go into the Navy. However, they discovered when they did his chest x-ray, somehow it got tilted down a little bit, and they found out that he was actually born with one kidney. So they didn't let him into the military. He did not go. But my three uncles went. Um, The youngest of those uncles was gay and in the closet his entire life. I mean, we knew. uh, And after his mom, my grandmother passed away, he was a bit more, you know, um, loose about things, but it was never talked about. So when he was in the military, you know, my assumption is that was just quiet and nobody, you know, <laughs> he didn't say anything. Nobody else said anything. And, and I think about him, I think about him often and what that must have been like for him. And just, you know, in general, how hard it must have been for him to be growing up in a small town, Catholic boy, be, being gay and, you know, not being able to live his real life. So there's that I other than, you know, I really don't know a whole lot of a whole lot about my three uncles service. I do know that that uncle was on the USS Osterhaus. That's the ship he was on. Um, I remember he had a, a napkin ring that he used uh, at every meal that was engraved with the USS Osterhouse's, you know, rank, all that stuff. And I do remember that my grandmother was very proud of her three sons service. Their father also served uh, in the military and in, in the Navy. And my other grandfather, my mother's father, uh, also served in the Navy. So, yeah, so that's what I know about them. And then uh, my son served in the Marine Corps.
1: And my soon to be husband served in the Marine Corps two tours in Vietnam. Lisa, how many kids do you have? Four. Four kids. Yep. How did that make you feel knowing that one of your babies was going to go into the military? Well, obviously mixed feelings. Okay.
0: So he was 16 when he told me this. So the plan was to go in at 17. We had a fairly dysfunctional family situation for quite a few years. And Honestly, I felt that this was probably his best opportunity to do something that he would feel proud of, that the rest of us would feel proud of, that would give him structure um, and help him grow up, if you will. So as much as I felt all of that, there was also, oh, my God my child. <laughs> and this is wartime. This is wartime. So I was willing to sign him in at 17 because it was hundred percent what he wanted to do. He was, he was not wavering at all. He had no other plans. This was it. This was the plan. He started talking to a recruiter, all of that. Um, I was in the middle of divorce with his dad and his dad um went to court and got an order from the judge that I was not to sign anything and that my son was not to go into the Marine Corps, um, which was really devastating to him because he wanted to go. So he couldn't go uh, when he turned 17, but that, that court order happened before the divorce itself. So finally, when the divorce happened, he was 17 and a half. And the judge, um, I guess, kind of changed his mind and emancipated him. So at 17 and a half, he was emancipated. And I called him up, told him, you're emancipated. You can go. And he went straight to the recruiter, signed up. Off he went to boot camp, Paris Island. Um, And I couldn't have been, I mean, it makes me emotional thinking about it. I couldn't have been more proud of him couldn't have been more proud of him. So um, his graduation from boot camp, we went down from Jersey to to Paris Island. I had to go beg, borrow, not steal, but beg and borrow money to be able to go because I was broke at the time. Uh And it was one of the proudest moments
1: of my life. You said he came into the military during wartime. When is it that he entered the military? He went in in May of 2005
0: after the big Fallujah, you know, that stuff. He ended up going to Iraq in 2007 and he got out in 2009 with very mixed feelings. He was engaged to a girl and that was really the reason that he didn't, um, you know, re-up and of course he ended up he ended up not staying with with her. They ended up breaking up, but um I know he was extremely torn because yeah. his people then went on to Afghanistan and you know, he lost some friends and he felt guilty and really you know, torn about all of that. So that was rough. That was rough for him. I was relieved yeah. When he originally told me he was going to go back in, I was like, oh, no, 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 don't go back in. Because you hold your breath as a parent. You just hold your breath, you know. And this was also keep in mind, this was back at a time where there was not all of this, you know, fairly free communication that goes on you know I couldn't just call him in Iraq (laughs) you know there was there was much more limited uh communication I got on the marine parents you know groups and we talked to each other where are they what's going on have you heard anything you know all this kind of stuff stressful yeah. to me it was a very big deal that he served four years and in, in wartime went into combat he was uh, his mos was 331 so he was a machine gunner you know he was the the, the target and the top of the humvee so i sweated you know <laughs>
1: Your son enters into the Marine Corps. You are proud because it was an opportunity for him to, one, do what he wants to do. And grow up, as you put it. He deploys. He gets back home. He leaves the military. Contemplates going back in, experiences survivor guilt, and, I mean, that's a lot for a person to deal with. Getting back from a deployment has enough struggles within itself. Losing people that you know is a struggle within itself. Now he's dealing with both of them. That's a lot. Seeing your son grapple with these things, how did you, how did you feel? How did you handle it? What was that like for you? I would say it's a
0: very, uh, it's a feeling of powerlessness when you're a mom, uh, a parent. I can only speak from the mom standpoint. You know, you have this idea, right or wrong, and it's probably wrong, (laughs) that it's your job to protect your child forever, even when they're an adult, (laughs) protect your child, fix things for your child. You want to spare your child any kind of pain from the world, and it's not possible to do. I was not able to protect him when he was in the Marine Corps. I am not able to protect him now. You know, he has to um, deal with his own stuff, just like every other grown-up needs to do. But I think part of part of it for me was he went in so young. Um, you know, he was still 17 when he went in. And... It's just that I think that natural desire as a mom or a parent to just not want to see your child suffer. And he didn't, he didn't say a whole lot. He said enough for me to understand that there were some real challenges, you know, for him around his, around his service. But you know, to this day, I I have to and I want to respect his process. He needs to go through his own process. And for him, and I had mentioned this to you, that involves uh, isolation. That involves isolation when it comes to the family. And... As much as that is extremely painful for me and for us, the rest of the people in the family, um, I also understand that it may be too difficult for him and and I don't know this I'm just you know saying it may be too difficult for him to deal with his own stuff and then deal with our reaction to him or our stuff around it. And so as painful as it is, I really try to take the attitude of I'm here. Um, I'm here when he's ready. I love him. I always love him. And I'm immensely proud of him. But I'm not going to interfere with his process unless he wants to, you know, bring me in on some level. So that's kind of where it stands. I mean, I say, ironically, because I I work with veterans, ironically, I can help pretty much any veteran except my own kid. Um, But maybe there's somebody else out there that's helping my kid, you know, and I just don't know that. Yeah.
1: You know, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I see things from the perspective of the service member, not as the parent or the family member. And being that service member, I know some of the things that I have experienced and gone through. And many times I can't necessarily vocalize what it is that I'm feeling or thinking. Sometimes I may not even understand myself what it is that I'm thinking or feeling. And a lot of times the family member will and I'm not implying that this is you, but many times the family member takes it personal when The service member doesn't want to talk about it. The service member may not want to talk about it because, like I mentioned, you're still grappling with it yourself. There also may be a lot of guilt and shame and condemnation because of what was experienced during that time of service. So, While it's personal for me, the service member, to work my way through that journey, it's also personal for you because you want to be there for your son, for the service member. But when the service member says, hey, I don't want to talk about it, I can't talk about it, it's not personal. He's, it's personal to him, what
0: he's going through. But what I mean about not personal is I don't think that his going through something and choosing to handle it a certain way is directed at me in a personal way. That's what I mean by not personal. I don't mean not personal as in he doesn't feel it and I don't feel it and, you know, it's no big deal. Not at all. I just mean I don't take it personally. It feels it feels all the feels, <laughs> but I'm not taking it personally like he's deliberately setting out to hurt me as his mother. yeah, I don't look at it that way at all, um, yeah
1: yeah, it sounds like we're saying the same thing here. It's important that both parties realize that. It's important that I, as the service member, know that you are there to support me, and it's important for you, as the family member, to know that it's a journey this service member has to take to move forward in life. No, I was just
0: going to say, I think, you know, back a long time ago, I did feel some of that and just had to work through and understand, you know, this is not directed at me, even if it, it, even if there was an action directed at me, if, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I just, I, I had to have a certain level of detach from this, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's a lot easier when you're in the grocery store and somebody acts like an asshole towards you. You know that's not personal. I mean, that has nothing to do with you. This person doesn't know you, none of that. When it's somebody that knows you and and knows your buttons and you know their buttons, then it starts to feel personal. But really people are going through their own stuff and behaving the way they're behaving or thinking the way they're thinking because they're, they're in their own process. And it's not about other people, even though it affects other people. I don't know if I yeah. explained that real clearly, but
1: <laughs> Yeah. So here's a question for me. Um at this point, for anybody who who would be listening to this
0: episode, um, who maybe is a family whether a parent or sibling or whatever is a family member of a service member and they see they see that that service member struggling what do you recommend to that family member? What would you tell them? Uh, <laughs> not to take it personally, however personal it feels. Um, and at the same time, if there is something that you can educate yourself on, uh, be more aware of, possibly modify your own um, responses that might be inappropriate or hurtful to the service member, you know, get get, excuse my language, you know, <laughs> just, you know, get fucking educated, talk to people so that you can understand possibly where this individual, you you know, your family member is coming from. Um, respect their their desire to maybe work through things without you, uh, as painful as that is. And at the same time, try to let them know you're there, you're as non-judgment and unconditional love as you can possibly be, and you will respect their desire to take whatever amount of time they need to take to do what they need to do. And that's, it's hard. It's very hard. Because like I said, you know, as a mom, I just, I just want to swoop in and fix it. Let me just, let me just fix this for you. That's my, you know, that's my natural inclination. Um, But that's not something I can fix.
1: Lisa, you said that you do stuff for veterans. You provide a service for them. Do you mind talking a little bit about what it is that you do? I am retired,
0: uh, disabled retired from the Social Security Administration, and I was a claims specialist there helping people file their disability claims. And so now I work with veterans. Um, I, I can work with anybody, but my strong desire is to uh, work with veterans, also with first responders. Um, first responders saved my life at one point. so. And I really feel like veterans in a lot of ways uh, have really saved my life in a mental in a mental standpoint way. Um, so I work with them to help them get their Social Security disability benefits. It's a real tricky process. It's a very individualized process. There's a lot of bad information out there about it. So, I do a lot of educating, you know, free educating on the topic. And then um, I work with individual uh, veterans and also first responders for them to get their benefits either by filing or filing an appeal, that kind of thing. Yeah. Where- because benefits can be life changing, as I'm sure you know, right? VA oh, yeah. benefits can be life changing. Social Security disability benefits can, you know, sometimes these things are the difference between homelessness or not. You know, validation. Uh, I see you. I acknowledge you have these things going on with you. Um, that's important too. Really important. Thank you, and have
1: a nice day.